Welcome to another episode of the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Join us as we talk to the experts to explore the field of nutritional sciences and how our food choices impact our health and the environment. We sit down with Canadian doctors, dietitians, athletes, climate experts, and others to break down the evidence behind a whole foods plant-based diet and discuss the practical steps we can take in the effort to shift towards a healthier lifestyle. My name is Stephanie Nishi, and today I am joined by my co-host, Cassandra Carey, and our special guest, Muzumal Ahmed, to talk about taking initiative and becoming the person behind the successful social media platform of Dr. Plant-Based. Muzumal Ahmed is a fourth-year medical student with a master's in psychology, certification in nutrition, and a bachelor's in business. He believes more times than not, we should be prescribing our patients with a healthy lifestyle over prescribed medications. And he believes a healthy lifestyle starts with a healthy diet, rich in whole plant foods. On his Instagram at dr.plantbased and on his website at www.drplantbased.ca, he shares evidence-based nutrition and showcases what a healthy diet looks like how to incorporate a healthy diet in one's lifestyle, and the role of diet and prevention, treatment, and in certain cases, reversal of chronic lifestyle diseases. He is also passionate about living a sustainable and conscious life that reduces our carbon footprint on the planet and living with compassion and kindness. We also have an exciting update to share about Musimal. He will be speaking at our upcoming virtual Canadian Plant-Based Nutrition Conference on May 28th and 29th, where he will be sharing more about a plant-based lifestyle in relation to athletics. Our annual conference provides evidence-based education by Canadian experts on plant-based nutrition for individual health, as well as highlighting the environmental and social concerns of our food system. Sign up to our newsletter on our website or visit our social media to keep up to date on the content and ticket sales. And now let's get into the conversation with Muzumo. Hi Muzumo, welcome to the Plant-Based Canada podcast. It's great to have you join us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to get to speak with you and to start things off, what kickstarted your interest in plant-based eating and a plant-based lifestyle? Um, that's a great question. That has a very long background story because it didn't like I didn't just fall into that right away I was for a very long time interested in eating healthy but it took a lot of steps to get to where I am now um, initially I started just eating like healthy in the sense of what people consider healthy so there were still a lot of animal products we're trying to pick um, like organic or grass-fed or wild-caught fish and things like that instead of more of the factory farmed animal products and and I was still eating a lot of fruits and vegetables but I never felt the way I wanted to feel I still always felt like um, something was missing in uh, either in my diet or in my lifestyle and I had been doing that for a long time so I didn't go from like a junk food diet to a whole food plant-based diet it was what people generally consider quite a healthy diet but with animal products when I started med school I was really hoping that I would be more exposed to preventative side of medicine than what ended up happening. Um, There's a lot of disease that runs in my family. I've had my uncle 
who passed away at the around the age of early 40s with cancer, a cousin in her 30s, and uh, another completely separate side of the family, another cousin's son at the age of two diagnosed with uh, uh, cancer as well. Um, so just a lot of cancer, a lot of diabetes, a lot of heart disease. And I was always curious, what can I do for myself and my family and then my future patients to prevent this? Because all I'm seeing is an increase in all these deadly chronic diseases that people seem to fall into and then can't get out of. And it's just an imminent death or imminent just suffering over the course of time. And that's what I was hoping to learn more about in med school. However, unfortunately, that is not the focus. They do touch a bit on prevention, but very minimally. And I also myself had suffered uh, from migraines all my life. And uh, I was always told that that's genetic. And I was put on different types of medications, seen neurologists, and always had migraines. And my mom also always had migraines. So I was just told it's genetic also had pretty bad eczema and this and cystic acne and just constant fatigue. I love working out, going to the gym, being active. But I remember back then I wouldn't be able to go to the gym and the next day also go as hard as the day prior. So I would either have to go lighter or uh, take a bit of a break. But that never made sense to me because I'm like, I'm eating well, what I considered well. And I am like, you know, sleeping well and exercising, but my energy levels aren't the way I wish them to be. And uh, I never realized that a huge part of that was from the very high protein intake from animal products that I was consuming that was just causing a lot of inflammation in my body that never even, I never even had that thought. But over the course of time, I kept being more and more curious. And I remember in the cardiology, we had one of the cardiology lectures where the cardiologist looked at the students and was talking about how prevalent uh, cardiovascular disease is now. And he was like, look at the person to your right and look at the person to your left. You have looked at uh, two of your friends. Most likely one of them will have heart disease later on in their life. And he said that as a very fact of matter, like there's nothing we can do that 50% of uh, Canadians get heart disease and that's it. And that just felt, I just felt very defeated hearing that because I was like, okay, I already have so much disease in my family. I was really hoping to find out how to prevent it. But the focus in the entire lecture was just all the pharmaceutical and surgical options we have once people get there. He also, I remember mentioned that I believe around the age of 10, children have plaques in their arteries. And that also was very bothersome for me. I was like, okay, you're telling me all these scary facts, but you're not telling me what to do about them. You're just telling me what to do once someone's sick, but not like, you know, is this normal? Was it always the case? Is this how it is around the world in different regions of the world? And can I do uh, anything as a future doctor to prevent this? But none of that was discussed. And I remember leaving very, very frustrated from that lecture. And that's when I really decided to dig deep, look at the literature, see what I can find myself. And the more and more and more I read, the more it became clear to me that the way I was eating I thought was very healthy, but I was eating a very high protein animal-based diet. I needed to consume a lot more plants. And over the course of time, I just ended up cutting out the animal products and just focused on whole food plant-based diet. And I haven't had a migraine in three years, which has been amazing. And I, my energy levels are high. I just feel a lot better. And there's just so much literature to show the benefits of eating plant-based that there's no reason not to be doing it. 
You bring up some really interesting points. And first off, my condolences to you and your family on those losses. That sounds like it's very challenging and difficult. So it sounds like both from your lifestyle and from your training, you have quite a bit of training from your undergraduate in business to a master's in psychology. And then you actually completed a certificate in nutrition. And now you mentioned that you're a medical student. You mentioned that in your training, it's maybe not exactly what you expected. So can you tell us a little bit more about what drew you to medicine and any of the training that does potentially relate to plant-based practices or what you hope could relate to plant-based practices or what you hope medical students like yourself would learn or could learn? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just going back in time a bit, when I did my business degree, I I wasn't thinking medicine. I wasn't thinking anything in health uh, related. I I have uh, growing up, I've always had a very entrepreneurial mindset. So I was like, okay, I'll do business. That's kind of what I was thinking. And I did do a business degree and I actually worked in oil and gas for a few years, but I just never felt satisfied. I felt like I wasn't making any difference in the world. And I remember, so I used to get in oil and gas, we get a lot of vacation time. So I would use that vacation time to go backpacking. And on one of my trips to South America, I was backpacking and I met this chef who was very um, uh, introspective and uh, him and I were just hiking together and we were just talking and he asked me why I like my job and things about it. And I told him that I don't know if I'm truly satisfied by my job, but I like the fact that I get a lot of vacation time so I can see the world and things like that. And he's like, if the only thing you like about your job is when you're away from your job, then you might want to reconsider. And that's when, when I came back, I decided that, yeah, I actually am not happy at all doing what I'm doing. So I want to figure out what I want to do. And I quit my job and just went on a really long backpacking trip around the world from New Zealand up to Japan on a more of an introspective trip. And one thing I realized during that trip was that I, I like making a difference in people's lives. I like working directly with people. And uh, medicine was something that was always on the back of my mind, but because I didn't have a science background, I never thought that could be possible. And so I decided that I will do something that seemed more, I guess, approachable at the time. Uh, I always really liked psychology and mental health. So I, I applied to a program that I was really interested in in, in UK a master's in psychology and I moved to the UK and I did my master's there and uh, when I was doing that worked with a lot of psychologists and as well as a lot of doctors and as much as I loved psychology when I worked with doctors one thing I saw was how they have the ability to be able to talk about patients health from a very overall holistic perspective if they choose to whereas as if I had decided to become a psychologist I would be just focusing on mental health uh, which is still great I love mental health but I just realized when I was doing that uh, with patients that there were just a lot of other things that I just saw that were related to their mental health but as you're not really supposed to talk about them because you're not the doctor you're just a mental health practitioner so that's when I decided to actually go back to school and take science courses to apply to med school um, so I had to go back and take undergrad courses. And that's when I applied for med school. And uh, and during med school, like I was telling you my story, when I realized that I wasn't learning anything but prevention and I realized how big of a role nutrition plays, so I decided to do those nutrition certifications while being in med school. So we get a four-month summer break between first year and second year. 
And during that time, I found a, a certification that was exactly four months long. Um, so I did that during that uh, summer break to get that knowledge so I could incorporate it into my future practice. And then I also ended up getting the eCornell scholarship to do their plant-based certification as well. So I ended up doing that as well. So how I plan on incorporating all of this is when you see a patient, if you want to talk to them, you can't really convince them or get to a deeper level unless you really understand psychology. You need to understand where different people's perspectives come from. They may want to make change, but if you don't understand the challenges, the barriers, and how do you even talk to them? Like something I learned very deeply in my master's was motivational interviewing. And that is so important if you want to bring change in a patient's life. You need to see what's important to them. You need to see what they're willing to do now. You need to have those continuous conversations. And that's where my master's in psychology is really beneficial that when I do talk to, my, uh, talk to the patients I see as a medical student, I'm able to have much deeper conversations and able to see what they are willing to do and, uh, and find things that encourage them based on their lifestyle, uh, current life factors that they would be willing to make the change. And having those two nutrition certifications that allow me to talk about nutrition more comfortably in more depth. So I just feel that I'm kind of fortunate that all the things I've done and the travels that I've done allows me to talk to people from different backgrounds and ethnicities because I've traveled so much now that it's just all kind of like a different puzzle pieces that have just fallen together that really makes me connect with patients on a deeper level that I'm really grateful for. So that's how I'm able to bring everything together. It sounds like you have a lot of very different life experiences that you're kind of accumulating all together to one thing that you said that stood out to me was make a choice. So it's make, you made the choice to go and do those certifications in your time off. You made a choice to go and gain those other experiences to talk to that chef in South America and to talk to other people and gain different perspectives. Can you describe to us how you've brought all those experiences to your current lifestyle, for example, what does a day of eating or a day of activity look like for you? Yeah, for sure. So that I try to incorporate all of that into my lifestyle as well as people are around me. So now the way I eat is very different from the way I used to eat because before I was always so focused on protein. And when I say protein, I was focused on animal-based protein and that because I'm really into um, working out and, uh, and that requires a certain amount of protein, but uh, people, like I was focused a bit too much, a lot more than you really need. And uh, now I just focus on eating a wide variety of plants throughout the day, throughout the week, bring, uh, bringing different colors and different types of fruits and vegetables, legumes and whole grains, nuts and seeds. And and I try to do that throughout like my breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. And uh, if, I, if I want to sweeten something, I try to still focus on whole foods. I'll use dates in my smoothies instead of sugar and things like that. And uh, a lot of people usually struggle with how they say that, you know, plant-based food doesn't have flavor. But honestly, there's so many spices and herbs from around the world that if you just explore and incorporate that into your eating, that your food can be so delicious and you don't need uh, meat at all in your food. And that was something that 
I also used to think, and from experience, I've realized that that is not the case. You can make delicious meals. So I do love posting a lot of uh, plant-based recipes on my website and my Instagram. So a lot of the times like I'll make it. And if it turns out really well, then I'll like, you know, remake it at a later point and record it and like post it. So that's kind of usually part of my week as well. We're like just experimenting, making new recipes. And I also love working out and being active. So I try to be outdoors as much as possible just to get the sun and just to be physically active as well as making sure that I'm also going to the gym if because I live in Alberta and it's super cold most of the time so I still like to be active even if I can't be outdoors and uh, when it comes to mental health I believe different things benefit different people when it comes to mental health uh, we're all wired differently so, uh, so for me like going for walks is very meditative so I try to do that I try to incorporate that or listening to uh just like light music uh, and and just like gathering my thoughts. And it's a, it's not like official type of meditation, but to me, that's very meditative. Um, and then, <clears throat> and I'm a really big believer on therapy. I think that is something that a lot of us can benefit. So I try to do that as well. And it, things like that have really helped me like from mental health perspective, physical health perspective, energy levels, just like, you know, doing kind of everything. Because when you're focusing on different aspects of your lifestyle, then I believe that, your, your health is going to flourish and and later on you're just going to have less health problems if you focus on the now yeah for sure that sounds great so a very holistic um, perspective on health including you know sleep exercise food even like your support network the people around you and in terms in terms of food i think you're what you're saying is super in line with the research that's out there which is you know focusing on whole foods and also a variety of different uh, whole plant-based foods. We are going to get into uh, talking about, you know, the whole social media aspect um, of what you do later on. But in terms of your website, which we're encouraging people to go visit and check out, you have a lot of guests write about a number of many different health topics, uh, such as diet and acne, lifespan and diet, weight loss, dental health, cancer prevention, iron deficiency, type 2 diabetes, anti uh, biotic resistance and food, regenerative medicine, and more. And so were there any or perhaps multiple topics where the evidence perhaps surprised you in terms of the findings or maybe surprised you that there weren't uh, any findings or research done on a particular topic? Yeah, I, I think all of it is quite surprising the first time you come across it because, you know, we don't we don't always think about it. We don't put that much importance to food. We're just going about our day eating and we just think it's just giving us calories and energy and taste. But the fact that there's so much power uh, uh, to what we eat is eye-opening and actually very encouraging. It gives you a lot of just, you just feel like you have more control over your health. When you can make those choices on a daily basis, that's going to impact your health and your future. I think few things that uh, as I learned were very, very eye-opening was, um, now I've read so much, so it doesn't seem as eye-opening, but in the beginning was the impact of food on brain and mental, and mental health. I think that is a fascinating area because a lot of the times we don't connect the two things we, as if they're not connected at all, but everything in your body is interconnected. And learning about that was super fascinating, how just like eating antioxidant-rich diet, is, you know, anti-inflammatory diet, 
or through eating a lot of plants is so beneficial for your brain. And a lot of people just focus on like omega-3, you need omega-3 for your brain. And you absolutely do. It's very good. But then one huge problem in medicine is when they talk about omega-3, they straight up jump to fish. And that's generally the recommendation is that you, you need omega-3 for your brain health, hence why you should be eating fish these many times a week. And that's what I used to believe as well until I looked into it that not only you can get DHA from other sources, that's how fish get it in the first place. Fish gets it from the microalgae. So you can, if you want a more supplemental form, you can get the algae-based omega-3 supplement, or you can eat uh, flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp hearts, uh, walnuts, things like that regularly every day in your diet and get a lot of omega-3s in your diet. Um, so that was one of the things when, because I always knew that fish at least right now, has a lot of mercury and uh, a lot of other toxins uh, in it. And when we're eating that just to get the omega-3, you're also getting all that other stuff. And fish is not devoid of saturated fat or cholesterol. It still has some. So if you can skip all of that, and obviously there's the environmental aspect and the ethical aspect of not eating fish. So if you can skip fish and avoid that and be able to still get your omega-3, that is amazing. And that is something we should be talking about in medicine. And that is something I, you know, I tried to raise awareness in my med school as well was that because I remember omega-3 coming up and then the, they directly mentioned like fish. And I was like, okay, but what about all these other sources? And that's the same thing happened. I went to the national uh, psychiatry conference in Quebec uh, before COVID um, when we still had conferences in person. And I remember they, they did an amazing topic. It was an amazing seminar on nutritional psychiatry. But one thing they talked about was omega-3. And uh, I remember them like, you know, showing uh, omega-3 and then fish and how much fish you need. And then during the questioning uh, period, I went up and I'm like, you know, I love the topic that you guys are talking about. This is really important, nutritional psychiatry. But by just saying that omega-3 comes from fish, you're kind of in a way telling people who are vegetarians and vegans or who are allergic to fish that now they can't get omega-3. And not only that, for people who might still be eating fish, but they want to like, you know, cut down on meat, you're not giving them any other option. And the other option might be even better. So it was interesting that the psychiatrist who was doing that talk wasn't even aware you can get omega-3 from like, you know, plant sources like nuts and seeds. So I think raising awareness about that is really important. And you asked a topic that we don't have enough research on. And I would say the relation of uh, nutrition and dental health. I think that is a topic that's not well studied. Um, I know I have an uh, article by a dentist who is plant-based and uh, reads up on it. And it's a great article, but it shows how little we still know about that topic. So that is something, you know, if a dentist is listening to this, uh, maybe consider doing a research project on plant-based nutrition and dental health. Yeah, that's great. And I love how you mm -hmm. talked about kind of shifting the locus of control from being external to internal. So giving, you know, people the power and the more that we learn about this, uh, the more people can feel empowered in making decisions that uh, might, you know, prevent disease later on in, in their life. Um, I guess you already kind of touched on this with more research in terms of dental health and nutrition. Are there any other topics that you think maybe people should be more aware of, or maybe something that we need to provide more of a, a summary of evidence on in terms of research as well? Yeah, I think uh, at least in medicine, there's a lot of topics that um, doctors this is the thing. Doctors are there to help their patients and they do generally want to help, but it's a systemic problem that they haven't been taught enough information on nutrition. 
the amount there we're taught is very limited. So what happens is then they know almost as much as general public or maybe slightly more, but I would say general public knows more because they actually end up spending time on the internet learning more. So there's that mismatch of information. So when general public goes to the doctor and asks questions, doctors actually unfortunately don't know much about this topic and they make very vague uh, recommendations or sometimes they may I've seen them making just purely false recommendations based on some magazine they read um, because doctors are really busy they may not even have time to go look at the research or the research they're looking at is more relevant to their if they're uh, if they're cardiologists they might be looking at uh, research relevant to new surgical procedures that came out or something like that and they're just missing out on the nutritional aspect because I see that a lot for example cardiovascular disease often we're recommending as doctors to shift from, e from eating red meat to chicken. But we're missing a huge piece here that the impact one is gonna have from shifting to red meat to chicken is actually really small uh, for cardiovascular health. If, they if you were recommending shifting from meat of any kind, including chicken to more legumes for protein, now you're taking out the saturated fat, you're taking out the dietary cholesterol, you're taking out many other factors, and you're adding in fiber, which is going to help reduce serum cholesterol anyway. So I think this is very important because we need to be looking at the diseases that are very common right now seen by general practitioners. And what is the relevant nutrition research right now that we can use to help our patients? The simple, the simple thing, like, you know, don't tell patients you go from beef to chicken, or they can use that as a stepping stone, but tell them the full story, which is if they truly want to make a big dent into their cardiovascular health, switching to uh, legumes for protein is what's going to do it. Or switching to just like a plant-focused diet or plant-based diet. Same thing with type 2 diabetes, that, that is also a disease that's like, you know, just keeps rising. And telling people, because a lot of people are scared of carbs, but telling people, no, if you eat fiber-rich whole plants, then it's actually even better for you than eating a low carb diet. But a lot of doctors sometimes don't even know that. So I feel like these very, very basic things can make a huge, a huge impact on patient population because these are the common diseases we see. And the other one being cancer. I think in Canada is number one cause of death now in US number two. So the role nutrition plays in cancer, but we barely ever talk about it. The only one we ever talk about is red meat, but there's so much more that we could all you need to do is spend five minutes and then you can provide resources because you all you need to do is spark an interest in patient or spark curiosity by saying something that's going to make them feel like, oh, they might be able to take control of their health. And then if you don't have the time to keep talking to them, give them the resources so on their own free time, they can go read it or watch documentaries. And that's where I see a huge gap currently in medicine that we could definitely fill. And I don't think it's even that hard to fill. Absolutely. And you actually made me think of my own family doctor, actually. Um, she's a great doctor, but I think she's an example of how, you know, she doesn't have the knowledge in nutrition whatsoever. You know, when I go and see her, sometimes I'll, I'll show her a study or she'll be like, oh, can you send me stuff? Right. Because she wants to learn and she's open, which is mm -hmm. fantastic. But yeah, either, you know, increasing the knowledge in medical schools and the learning around that, or even, I'm sure Steph would love this because she's a dietitian, uh, but uh, ref doctors referring patients uh, to a dietitian might be hopeful thinking, but um, would be a good way to move forward as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 
So another question here, um, what do you think are the most impactful hindrances to eating plant-based? So what's stopping people from eating plant-based, do you think? I, uh, I think it's their own psychology. Uh, that's a huge piece that I'll cover a few other things, but I think people's misconceptions are playing a big role in them not considering it, them thinking that it's not going to be flavorful and it's not going to be enjoyable or them thinking that they're not going to get enough protein or their other uh, nutrients and them just thinking that they won't be able to have an overall enjoyable eating experience. I think that's a huge thing that stops people because I know that me sharing all the signs as much as I love doing that, I think that makes a smaller dent than me sharing the recipes because then people see practical things and they're like, oh, I can make this recipe. Oh, this looks delicious. And then when they can see or they can taste and feel that plant-based eating uh, can be delicious, then I've noticed that they're more likely to go look at, at the research. Like uh, some people are very research focused like myself. So they would be more inclined to look at the research, but I feel like general public is more focused on like taste and pleasure. So you need to show them that it is possible from that aspect. And then also add the, add the research aspect. The second, the second, I would say barrier is, it's like two factor. It depends on where people live. Um, one is people thinking it's too expensive. Um, when it doesn't have to be like if you don't buy those expensive mock meats and uh, vegan cheeses it can be actually I save a lot more money eating vegan the other thing is it being not as accessible in certain parts of uh, you know Canada and the U.S. so that's where I think a systematic change needs to happen with subsidies and things like that um, that could help but even with within those areas things like canned beans are actually still cheap so making those recommendations where things are still cheap for people who can't afford it and telling them, hey, you can still eat canned beans and then make this recipe, even if you can't afford like, you know, it's more expensive things and still eat more plant-based if you can't go 100%, I think can be very beneficial. It's just having the conversation and breaking down some of those barriers and clarifying things and providing them with like recipes and things like that is, is what people need. Yeah, for sure. And addressing, like you said, the um, misconceptions around plant-based eating. And mm -hmm. uh, there was like a recent um, modeling study done, global modeling study that looked at cost around plant-based diets. And overall, they found that it was not more expensive. So that is, you know, a misconception that a lot of people have that it is more expensive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the blue zones a few times on your website and from your review of scientific literature on the health benefits of plant-based dietary patterns. Could you describe what these are and why they have caught the attention of yourself as well as a lot of other people? Yeah, absolutely. I love the blue zones. <laughs> so the one that's commonly known is the Okinawa in Japan. A lot of people have heard about that, but the other ones are Ikaria in Greece, Sardinia in Italy, Nicoya in Costa Rica, and Loma Linda in California, so within North America. Um, the reason they're fascinating is because they're like small patches of areas where people are living much health, more healthier and living much longer than the rest of the world. And uh, that's fascinating because it's like, what are they doing differently? And it's not one thing that they're doing differently. It's like kind of the whole, they're taking a holistic lifestyle approach that's just different than the rest of the world. One thing that's common among all of them is the way they eat. 
they are all eating plant-focused diets. So I'm not going to say they are all eating 100% plant-based diets, but they're eating plant-focused diets, where I remember seeing that about 95% on average, their calories come from plants. So that is still uh, like 95% is huge. And uh, I think it was the range from 90% to 100% on average. And uh, and the, the people living in Loma Linda in California, a lot of them are Seventh-day Adventists and they tend to be more vegan. So a lot of them are eating 100% plant-based. And uh, the more of the Mediterranean region, are still eating very plant-based, but they'll eat like a bit of dairy and stuff. And I just want to take a moment and, and mention the thing about Mediterranean is that a lot of people are really focused on Mediterranean diets. I love to talk about them without fully understanding what they are. Because um, the Mediterranean diets that were studied were actually plant-based diets, or plant-focused diets with like calories, like 90% or more coming from plants. So if someone wants to do a Mediterranean diet is still a plant-based or plant-focused diet. Only 10% or less are coming from animal products. It's not the way you see in these uh, Mediterranean restaurants with a huge piece of fish with like a lot of uh, you know dairy on top and then a bit uh, and then a side of plants. That is not the true Mediterranean. But um, going back to the blue zones, so style of eating is huge. The way they eat, they don't tend to eat alone. A lot of the time they eat more in a community setting. So with their family or with their friends and enjoy the meal, sit down, don't rush it because the North American uh, way of eating a lot of the times is on the run to go, not really enjoying grabbing something that's quick, you know, grabbing a McDonald's burger, you're done in two minutes and you're full. So they actually take the time to eat their meals, eat delicious, colorful meals with their family. So not only is that good for their health, but it's also good for their mind because they are, there's a social factor of it. There's the community factor of it. There's the uh, feeling like, you know, you have people around you, uh, a factor of it. And then they're all physically active. So they're not necessarily doing marathons or lifting heavy weights. They're just active throughout the day. And that's what I tell people as much as I love lifting weights and be, uh, being more active than general population, people don't need to do that. If they're just active throughout the day, that is still really good because that's how blue zones are doing it. They don't have, they're not going to gyms necessarily all the time. And then just being outdoors and getting the sun is another thing that they do. And the things they're doing, just, just like with your comments and just make sense that we should all be doing that. But we just have kind of lost those things over the course of the time, like eating, like, you know, trying to eat a fast, fast food and not really eating with people and not being physically active and driving everywhere. So if you could just take a bit of those things and incorporate in our lives, I believe that would go a long way. Uh, Blue Zones have a lot to teach us. They're definitely very interesting areas of the world, especially as you were mentioning, it's not just the foods, which is a part of it, but the entire mindset on how people live their lives and how they choose um, to make decisions about their activity patterns and eating with others, sharing that experience with others. Um, there's been studies that have shown that that also has a potential impact, the family meal, going back mm -hmm. to that versus, like you said, eating on the run, eating at our desks, that can all potentially impact how we think about food and how we approach food. Um, Absolutely. And on your going back to your website, because your website is a wealth of information. So if anybody <laughs> is interested, it's www.drplantbase.com. Um, we'll .ca. .ca, my apologies. Yeah. And we'll link that in the show notes for individuals if they're interested. But also on your website, you mentioned you're passionate about transforming a reactionary approach, which I feel is what 
many people potentially in North America may feel that we're in currently to medicine to a more proactive approach. And can you speak more about this and how you accomplish this with clients and the general public? Yeah, so reactionary approach is the typical approach of medicine. It started from more of acute disease model. So if someone got an infectious disease that needed to be treated right away, or more of the emergency setting, if someone, you know, broke their leg or got into some sort of an accident or something like that is emergent, that is need to be treated right away, then reactionary approach makes sense in that moment, fix it before like, you know, it gets worse, or unfortunately, someone passes away. But what has happened over the course of the time is that the, the medical uh, community has started utilizing that approach for chronic diseases. And that's where it's a bit flawed because chronic disease develops over time. There's a lot of time, a lot can be done. And there's a lot of time before a chronic disease starts that a lot can be done. That's where we need to change the approach from reactionary, waiting for something to happen, and then just putting someone on medication or recommending a surgery. Um, before all that happens, being looking at the lifestyle factors of a patient and seeing what could be done differently so they don't even get there. So if someone has a disease that runs in their family, instead of just doing like screening, like, you know, doing certain blood works or certain imaging um, every year, every few years, uh, which is good because you're catching it before it happens, but also being like, okay, this runs in your family, we're screening for this, but what about your lifestyle. Let's see what we can do there that, you know, we can optimize it. So you may never even get like type 2 diabetes or, or high cholesterol, hypertension, uh, coronary artery disease, or whatever it might be. So let's look at that. And that model requires us to sit down with the patient in earlier stages of disease or before that, and going over all of it in depth, going through all the different pillars of lifestyle medicine, including nutrition, focus on plants, um, exercise, mental health, smoking cessation, other uh, substance uses, and uh, like, you know, more of the community family aspect, social aspect, and things like that. And talking about all those things, because all those things, and stress being another one, all those things cause chronic disease. Um, so that's how I see it. And whenever um, I have done uh, those periodic checks with patients, I have taken a bit more time to be like, okay, we've done all this screening stuff, we've done all this general stuff. Now, can we just take a moment and talk about lifestyle stuff in more depth? Um, how is your diet? How is your mental health? How's your stress at work? And talk about things, those things a bit more, giving patient a bit more time about that and, and seeing where they're at and then seeing if they're open to recommendations and if they are making those recommendations and providing them with those resources. So you optimize their health now instead of later on. What I want to say is reactionary medicine, this is what happens. People are here, their health is at a point, at, let's say zero, and it dips when they get sick. And what reactionary medicine does is tries to bring it back to zero, at like, you know, back to the baseline. But what if, what if what we were focusing on was if you look at a patient and they're healthy and they're at zero, optimizing it. So you take it up to a five or a 10 and optimize their health even more. So when they do, if they do get sick, they are still above their baseline they, and you can still do a lot. You have a lot more time and they may not even get sick depending on um, how their uh, lifestyle is optimizing the other factors that may be playing. But I just believe we, we need to shift that model from reactionary model that was made once for uh, acute diseases to a more proactive for chronic diseases. 
And it sounds like this needs to potentially come from both sides, both the patient or client side and also the healthcare professional side, because mm-hmm. both parties need to align for this to be successful overall. Like you were talking about earlier, bridging that knowledge gap, bringing awareness to the information that is available and certain things that people can be doing. And you do this on your website, but also you hinted at this before through your social media. And can you tell us a little bit more, how did you build this platform? And can you describe your aim and your process for content development? Because you put out information to, it seems like you're trying to share this evidence-based information, but in a way that's digestible for people to really be able to use. So can you speak more about this? Yeah, for sure. So it started from uh, it's funny because my passion came from frustration. So in med school, in my first year, when I felt like prevent- preventative medicine wasn't being taught as much as I would have liked. And I felt that when I shadowed doctors at in my first year, I felt like though they were doing an amazing job, that piece was missing in general public just wasn't getting enough of that. I decided that once I felt more and more competent over time that I wanted to share this, but I wanted to share it in a way that people can digest it, just like you said, and also make it practical for people. Because I think the two things need to happen together. You need to bring in science that people can easily understand, but then also provide them with things that they can do in their lives, like, you know, uh, delicious recipes and things like that. Because that's when change happens. It's when it's from theoretical and practical side. So when I decided to do it in the beginning, I did, I like, I was not a social media person. I barely ever used Instagram. I, I kind of hated all of it. And uh, so, but then I knew that was a way to get information out if you do it right. So I started making infographics because I know that from looking at other people for other topics, I have always loved infographics that are easy to digest. And then if uh, with a longer caption and if someone's interested, they can go read the actual scientific article in their free time if they want to go get more in depth. And I have always liked that approach. And also just sharing the comparison, the comparison, easy comparisons, like, you know, because I don't personally focus on protein anymore, but I know people do. So I'll make something like, you know, do you know, like peanut butter sandwich has same amount of protein as like three eggs, but minus the saturated fat or dietary cholesterol and things like that. So those visuals can be very helpful for people. But when I started initially making it, I didn't have a large platform or anything. I just... A bit of luck definitely played into this because I started going to conferences and I started meeting other plant-based folks. And I remember meeting Robbie and Cyrus from Mastering Diabetes. And Robbie and I, I had followed their work for a while. So I just went and talked to them and I told him like the type of stuff I had started doing and what I'm passionate about. And he loved it. He's like, we need more medical students like this. And uh, he was like, he's like, what's your Instagram? Let me add you. And at that time, my Instagram was very small, but I started making those infographics. and. And then he gave me a shout out and started sharing my stuff on his own personal Instagram because he really liked it. And because of that, few other people like Adam Sud and a few other people found me and they're like, oh, I love your stuff. Your Instagram is not that big, but your, uh, your content is really good. So they started sharing my stuff. So my focus was just on like making content, content and building relationships. And over the course of the time, I think the other pieces just kind of started falling through, uh, uh, falling into place. Because I know in the beginning, I did it for a while and it was just like very stagnant. I wasn't making any growth. And I was like, the only advice I was given was don't give up, just be consistent and keep making connections. And that's what I did. I kept going to those conferences, meeting people. And then 
and then now I'm making more and more content and doing collaboration work and and have started speaking at events and it's been a phenomenal experience. Social media can be very powerful. Definitely. It's definitely a way to share information, but also bring people together. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you have been that consistency and those connections have really led to a lot of growth and a lot of awareness about this as well. And just going back to the comment you mentioned at the beginning, have you encountered any other frustrations that you're wanting to try to address or what are you up to these days and what are your plans for the future? I didn't, no current frustrations. I'm very content. Um, like I know when I started building my Instagram profile, uh, some majority of med students were very supportive, but there were some who just because they weren't taught that information, they had never looked into it. They were very skeptical and uh, there was few remarks were made, but the up higher chain, um, the deans and the professors, um, they, they wanted to know what I was doing. So I shared everything I was doing and they were actually very supportive of it because I had the science to back it up. If I had it, I'm pretty sure then I would have struggled. But because I had that, I was able to be like, hey, this is what I'm posting. These, these are the research papers. Please have a look because I think even you need to learn this. And uh, I remember once actually, before all this started, you just triggered a thought. Um, I remember going to like the med school administration office. There's like a bunch of offices in that area and uh, just talking to one of the admin uh, admin uh, personnel there and telling her all about like my frustration and how I want to bring more awareness and everything. And uh, um, she was walking me out after we had our coffee in her office. She was walking me out and she told me, she's like, oh, by the way, there's this board meeting happening in the next five minutes and I'm part of it. And uh, like the deans are going to be there and the board members are going to be there. So I'm going to bring this up that you showed interest in this. And I was walking out. So there's the exit right here. And then right beside, beside it was a room to the board meeting. And I accidentally walked into the board meeting and they were just beginning. And then uh, the dean looked at me and then she's like, she kind of knew me because she had seen me around, but she didn't know who I was. She's like, oh, are you sneaking into the board meeting? Do you want to join? And I was like, no, no. And then the my my friend who was in the administration she just she was like she was like no you should keep him keep him here he he has a lot of good things to share uh, and a lot of frustrations you might want to hear and I was like oh my god Sherry what are you doing and then the dean was like no come sit right beside me I want to hear it and I was really nervous but I ended up saying everything about the reactionary model how it needs to be more proactive how we need to have more nutrition and things like that and uh, the whole room just went silent and I was like oh my god like they're gonna kick me out of med school for being so vocal and uh, the dean was like okay that's a lot but I love your passion what do you want to do about this so I told her I'm like I don't know I want to do everything I want to change the curriculum I want to like bring more awareness and she's like okay those are big projects that won't happen but do you want to start with something that you can do right away can you think of anything and I was like okay how about a plant-based nutrition club because uh, I can run it with whoever else is interested, I would just need funding. So that's how I, I so I, uh, I got funding for that nutrition club. And that was the first plant-based nutrition club in, in Alberta that we started on campus uh, under med school. And it started and then we have brought like Brenda Davis, uh, the dietitian and uh, Dr. Clapper and other people to speak. So that's how I was able to kind of bring the awareness to the med community in Edmonton as well, which, uh, which what the good that has done is now if a patient comes and they're like, hey, I want to go plant-based, 
most people who have attended this aren't going to now jump into, oh, I don't know if it's good for you or any of that. Now they have awareness. So they may not be doing it themselves. I know a lot of them have become more plant-based, but they may not be doing it themselves. They have the awareness to be like, okay, this is actually possible and it's healthy. These are the resources I'm aware of that I picked up from these talks that I attended. How we go check them out. So, so I guess frustration can lead to good things at times. <laughs> But what I'm doing right now is I just uh, submitted my applications for CARMS. That's the uh, residency, uh, they're the residency applications because um, I'm finishing med school in April and starting residency in June. So July 1st. Um, so I'll be doing interviews in March for that. That's so exciting. You briefly uh, kind of already answered my last question here, but perhaps touch on just a bit more of any advice that you could give to maybe current or future medical students like myself who have a strong passion for plant-based eating or just a more holistic uh, perspective on health? What can they do? I think it depends on what they're willing to do and what their time allows and their capacity. But definitely like doing it yourself is a huge thing because then you're initiating conversation when people see you eating your colorful dish instead of the pizza served at the lunch talk. Uh, that's just like a simple, basic thing, but that can actually make an impact because a few med students might overhear it and then they might be curious and ask you later because that happened to me a few times. And uh, besides that, if you do have the capacity and are willing to do more, um, I think it never hurts to reach out to your program and tell them that this is your passion. You want to do something. And they can always use my example and be like, this student at this school did this, you know, because I was able to get funding for the plant-based nutrition club. I was able to get funding to start the uh, plant prescription podcast that it was fully funded by my med school. And, uh, and then I also was able to approach different doctors who taught us different lectures um, where I felt like things were either in nutrition wise out of date or completely false, just like had weak evidence and then what i did was i would share evidence with them attach all the scientific articles and be like hey you talked about this uh because i know one of the psychiatry lectures uh the psychiatrist had mentioned that vegans have worse mental health uh, in his lecture but the source he had used was so weak and that's not really what it had said and then i broke it i sent a really long email ceasing the dean and i'm like this is kind of damaging because plant-based nutrition is so powerful there's the ethical aspect there's the environmental aspect and some people might be doing it for religious reasons so it, it, to make such a statement you have to be really careful to have strong evidence to back it up and this current evidence isn't that strong whereas then i attached like a few things on like how plant-based eating can be helpful for uh mental health and then he completely took out that slide from the lecture and now he says that if you eat if you do plant-based eating properly you can have mental health benefits so it's a complete opposite of what was being taught in psychiatry so like doing things like that like don't ever be scared because what's the worst that's going to happen they're going to ignore it or do nothing but the good is that they might start teaching something that's more in tune with the scientific literature and their future med students will benefit and I'll just give you the last minute here if you'd like to share where people can find you online or maybe a take-home message for today's talk that you'd just like to share with everyone listening. Yeah, for sure. So you can find me. I'm most active on Instagram. And my handle is Dr. Plantbased. So it's dr.plantbased. 
Um, I also have a podcast, but uh, it's inactive, right? Like you can find all the episodes, but I haven't done a new episode in a while as we're just taking a break, but it's called Plant Prescription Podcast. And then my website has a ton of information, uh, drplantbased.ca that you can uh, go, uh, go there. And if you ever want to reach out to me, you can DM me on Instagram or fill out the contact page on my website and I'll respond in a couple of days um, at uh, at the longest. And uh, besides that, take home message is if you're ready to go plant-based, like definitely do it. Um, look at the resources, get the knowledge. It's important to do it right. And by that, I mean, for some people that requires doing it slowly, then just jumping into getting too fast and then not doing it properly. And then feeling like it doesn't work for you and feeling, and then jumping back to your old habits. So it's really important to doing all the research because you've been eating a certain way for a really long time. And now if you're going to change, you need to learn the other side too. So you do it properly. Just listening to, I don't believe one podcast should be enough to just fully jump into it. It might be, uh, might be the triggering factor for you. That's great. But now do the research on how to properly do it. So then you can be healthy. You can reap the benefits and uh, you can just feel good about it. And if you want to share that with other people, depending on if you're a medical student or different type of students or just working and want to share with your colleagues or with your family, uh, find good resources, compile them, and then share them with people who are willing to read or watch um, just to expose them to all the information that's out there that they're just not aware of. Yeah, that's great advice. One little step at a time. And I think that applies to almost everything in life. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for speaking with us today. And we wish you all the best in your future ende endeavors. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I love that you guys have this podcast now. Like Canada is becoming more plant-based. I love it. Thanks for joining us. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, you as well. Thank you. And don't forget, if you want to hear Musumal talk more about a plant-based lifestyle and athletics, he will be speaking at our upcoming virtual Canadian Plant-Based Nutrition Conference on May 28th and 29th. Our annual conference provides evidence-based education by Canadian experts on plant-based nutrition for individual health, as well as highlighting the environmental and social concerns of our food system. Sign up to our newsletter on our website or visit our social media to keep up to date on the content and ticket sales. This episode was hosted by myself, Stephanie Nishi, and Cassandra Carey. Our audio engineer was Clint Stamatovich. This podcast featured royalty-free music from bensound.com. A very special thanks to our guest, Muzumal Ahmed, for speaking with us and sharing his insights. And of course, thank you for listening. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada, which aims to educate health professionals and the public on the evidence behind plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website at www.plantbasedcanada.org and stay up to date by following us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at plantbasedcanada.org. Until next time.